Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to DBRS Morningstar's European Securitization Insights Podcast. My name is Madasa Chaudhry, Head of European Structured Finance Research here in London and along with my colleagues bringing you a variety of insights related to securitization markets. Today I'm also joined by Christian Offsatz, Managing Director and Head of European Structured Finance and Marcus Alvarez, Senior Vice President and also the Global Head of Insurance. Christian and I are based out of London office while Marcus works out of the Madrid office. In this episode we will give an introduction to climate change scenarios and how climate risk could result in an increase in debt issues default probability or a reduction in asset valuations. Speakers will delve into details when thinking about climate and credit analysis and what exactly we are focusing on. We will further explore who ultimately pays for losses arising from climate change. So with that, Christian, could you please briefly recap what is climate change and climate change risk and what are the the key risk dimensions? So Mudasa and yeah, thank you for the question. Maybe just up front as analysts in relation to credit risk we look at climate risk and climate change risk as for any other environmental social or governance or esg factor from a credit lens which means we do not opine on how sustainable an investment is um, we look at to what extent have esg factors and in this particular case climate related ones a credit relevance do they affect our credit view and potentially to the extent that the credit rating um, is different than without having that factor in mind. So um, after this caveat, focusing on climate, I think when I talk about the topic, there are always several dimensions to consider. Um, the first one is in relation to climate and weather risk in particular, and climate change risk. Climate and weather risk in itself is not new, has always existed. And that is basically the risk that there is a loss due to adverse climate and weather events. Now, it's not disputed that because of climate change, the frequency and the severity of adverse uh, weather events um, increase or have been already increasing and will continue to increase. And the difference between previous climate risk and the increased climate risk would be, okay, that is the increased risk due to climate change. Subtle differences, but in my view, always important um, to consider. And the other differentiation looking at climate change in itself is the differentiation between physical risks, which are basically climate and weather risks, which are forecasted to increase um, in the future due to climate change. And the other one is what it is what is called um, transitional risk which is actually the risk of increased costs um, due to a transition to a more sustainable um, future in terms of uh, carbon emissions. And the keywords here are uh, net zero, carbon neutral, Paris, um, and all this. And in terms of credit risk, ultimately, these are two dimensions uh, which have to be considered. Then I think 
also always as the uh, opening words to keep in mind are time horizons. So um, research shows that when we talk about changing climate and weather patterns, these are long-term effects which have already started, which will be increasing. But in terms of physical climate risk, it's expected that this will increase to a material effect towards mid of the century and beyond. And when we look at credit here at DBRS Morningstar, our time horizon is typically um, shorter than that. On the transitional side, transitional climate um, change costs, here uh, they are more imminent. The transition towards less carbon intensive economies has started and will be, these costs likely will occur earlier than the physical damage or loss and both of them are dependent on the other so um, the more action is taking now towards net zero the more costs will be incurred but ultimately the physical losses um, in the long term will be will be forecasted to be less if on the other hand there's no transition no transitional costs meaning the more imminent cost factor of climate change is reduced but in the long run physical climate risk might increase uh, much more than if action would be taken. And here, because we want to talk about credit, when we look at it and looking at the two aspects of climate risk, it's very difficult, or we ask ourselves, and it's difficult to answer that question, what are realistic and conservative assumptions uh, in terms of what should we assume, what is the transition to net zero, and what is the ultimate global warming and obviously, if you assume a very gradual transition or no transition, that is an optimistic assumption in terms of imminent costs. But it's a conservative assumption in relation to ultimate physical risk and the other way around. So if you were to assume a very fast transition, that would raise a lot of additional costs currently and then less physical costs um, at a later stage. But Finding the balance, because um, they're negatively correlated, is uh, very difficult in relation to, okay, what is actually conservative? And then ultimately, what is realistic? Thank you, Christian, for setting the scene and describing the, the physical and transitional risks uh, in climate change. Now, looking at the DBRS Morningstar's ESG framework, how do we take the climate change considerations in, in our framework? Yeah, very uh, good question, uh, Modassa. So our ESG framework, as listeners might know, spans overall 17 ESG factors over environmental, social and governance, which we think can be theoretically credit relevant. And obviously thinking about climate, uh, what comes to mind first is that it's environmental uh, and falls into um, the E uh, classification. And indeed we have two environmental factors which directly address climate and climate change. One is called climate and weather risks. I think that's uh, self-explanatory. That's physical climate risk. And the second one is uh, carbon and greenhouse costs, which is basically the main um, factor in terms of transitional climate risk, meaning the path um, towards net zero and the potential additional costs um, arriving from that. However, the longer your time horizon in terms of ESG is, we actually think that climate and climate change risk 
can affect a number of other factors um, indirectly, meaning that it's it's not only these two. So, for example, on the physical climate risk side, it's actually already also mentioned in our corporate governance, so a governance factor assessment, because already now corporate governance needs to include climate change and uh, climate risk considerations. So that is something we look at in terms of our governance analysis for um, corporates and um, for banks. Transitional climate change risk, the transition towards net zero, if it's happening, does not only affect regulatory effects um, on, on carbon and uh, greenhouse gas costs, but also affects things like resource and energy management, which is another environmental factor social considerations, which is a social factor, social impact of products and services, if the society becomes more uh, net or carbon conscious, that affects um, demand uh, for certain products. So it can be climate change can be a social factor. And similarly with product governance, there's certain expectations increasingly by society that the products contribute towards certain net zero targets. So that is the product governance. So basically, Modasa, to answer the question, climate and climate change features very prominently within the entire ESG framework, especially the longer you spend your time horizon, which you use in order to look at ESG. Thank you, Christian. So, Markus, would you like to say a word or two on the ESG, DBS Morningstar's ESG framework from an insurance perspective? Sure, thanks, Modasar. We have been using the, the ESG, uh, the VRS Morningstar framework, and applied for on insurance and reinsurance companies in the past couple of years, which is, uh, Christian mentioned, is, is not new. Case of non life, PNC, insurance and reinsurance companies, the impact of climate events is something that we have been looking at very closely now for a number of years, even before we implemented the ESG framework. But now we have more transparency in the way we communicate these results to the market. And in particular, the um, climate factors has been identified as, as relevant or significant for a number of non-life insurance companies and reinsurance companies in our portfolio. And I think that they serve also as a canary in the mine, given that they are upfront into absorbing some of these catastrophic losses uh, resulting from climate adverse events. Thank you, Marcus. So just drilling further into structured finance world. So what are the impact of climate change considerations within structured finance and how do we view them? From a structured finance perspective, um, as for all other sectors, it, it makes sense to differentiate by physical climate risk and transitional climate risk. And what have, we have been looking at is um, we look at Morningstar Sustainalytics data in relation to physical climate risk to see what are potential expected losses due to adverse climate events in the future in certain regions uh, for certain properties. And here, when looking at the current data, which is also matched by other climate data providers, we realize that as of now, and maybe over the next decade, there is a higher risk of adverse weather events but it's still to the extent when you measure it as an expected property loss in a certain region, relatively low. But it is likely to increase, as I mentioned before, um, second uh, half of this century. 
but certainly in structured finance for property related asset classes, we'll be looking at such data to see whether there's an elevated risk of uninsured losses, because from our perspective, very often still potential damages to properties are still insured. So we would pass the ball back to uh, Marco's team, but we are keeping a close eye on that. Uh, in structured finance, where we have seen more relevance to date is actually on the traditional climate change side, meaning the path towards net zero. And here, uh, one thing which comes to mind is, for example, the trend towards electric vehicles, where we have seen to some extent loans or leases which are secured by electric cars currently having a better credit performance than the traditional engine cars. And here we had rating actions where we said that was a positive credit relevant factor, meaning the fact that a certain portfolio was uh, very much dominated by electric vehicles, uh, we assumed a lower loss severity. And that's actually an example where sustainable investments or sustainable loans can be seen more credit positive than the less sustainable loans. On the flip side, we also have um, seen some loans in the commercial real estate sector where increasingly landlords, for example, office landlords, face a situation that their tenants require less carbon intensive office spaces. Meaning that if we look at an office portfolio or office property where a lot of investment is needed in order to make the property yeah, better performing from a carbon intensity, that can negatively affect our credit view in two, in two dimensions, either because we think there will be additional costs on the CapEx side, or if those costs are not incurred, i.e. the CapEx is not done, uh, we think that this can negatively affect the property value in the future, given that there will be less tenant demand and potentially at some point less lending options um, available to these type of assets which is one example where non-activity on the path towards net zero can result in us thinking yeah, this is credit negative. Thank you, Christian. And now moving on to the insurance side, effectively, are the weather-related losses increasing and who ultimately pays for them? Thanks, Mudasa, for this question. I think it's, um, it is clear from the statistics that we have been looking at in the past few years that insured losses due to weather-related events are, are increasing, in some cases materially, depending on the region or the type of risk. So, for instance, when we look at the 10-year moving average from 2002 to 2012, if insurers were paying around 60 billion a year in weather-related insured losses, well, now this average has been moved to over 80, 80 billion. In the past two years, 2021 and 2022, the total um, weather-related insured losses exceeded 100 billion US dollars, and we expect that this number will be again over 100 billion for 2023. And we are thinking that this will be the new norm for the insurance industry, insurance and reinsurance industry to pay an average of 100 billion dollars in weather-related events per year. So yes, the insurance industry and the reinsurance industry has been paying more due to weather-related events. Uh, some, some of that is caused by climate change. Some of that is also caused 
by accumulation of property values in risk areas like coastal areas in, in the US. And these, of course, includes perils like flood, wildfires, hurricane, tornado, etc. One thing that we have to say is that in response to this increasing trend of weather-related insured losses, reinsurers have also increases their price, their pricing on non-life and PNC insurance policies. And the market is within a situation where we call a hard market, a hard reinsurance market. So prices have been going up now for three years in a row. We expect that this hard market will continue into 2024, potentially into 2025. So this is also affecting affordability. So the ability of the final consumer to pay for the insurance they need and where they need it. And in some areas uh, in the world of the world has been, the situation is quite acute. Uh, for instance, in Florida or in California, where some companies have exited the market altogether and insurance uh, coverage for, let's say, wildfire or hurricane is, is not available for everybody at a reasonable price. So one thing that we also have to distinguish when we're talking about who pays for this is the difference between economic losses, which are the total losses caused by weather-related events, and the insured losses, which is the portion that is actually assumed by the insurance and reinsurance industry. So when we say, for instance, that in 2022, the insurance industry pay around $120 billion in weather-related losses, the economic losses are typically two, three times uh, that amount. So there is a wide proportion of losses caused by weather-related events that are actually not paid and not assumed by the insurance industry, which is concerning because then that means that this is going, these losses are going to uh, homeowners, to companies that somehow they are self-insuring themselves or they don't have enough insurance. And or is going to governments, which they will go to all citizens via taxes, because not everything is is covered by the insurance industry. And this is something that actually the insurance industry is working on to reduce that gap between economic losses and insured losses. Some companies like Swiss Re and Munich Re are actually trying to create innovative ways to reduce that gap. And we have seen some. Uh, actions in the market, like for instance, the increase in what we call cat bonds or insurance linked securities, where the non-traditional insurance market, meaning institutional investors, take a position in, in uh, climate or weather-related risks like hurricane or wildfires in certain regions of the world. And typically that tends to attract a certain type of institutional investors like pension funds, endowment funds, and very large institutional managers. And that market has also been growing. It's probably going to be around 40 billion this, this year in, in capital available. It's still small when we compare with the total size of the uh, insurance uh, market. The, so the total capitalization of the reinsurance industry is estimated to be around 600 billion. Um, so these losses, although they are increasing at uh, about 100 billion, they're still manageable for the insurance industry, but it's definitely creating pressure on pricing, which is being passed to, to consumers. And this is something that we are also looking uh, in detail because we think that these challenges on affordability at the final customer level might prompt uh, government action in some cases, and we have already seen some examples of that in California, more recently in the province of Alberta and Canada, where regulator is, is putting some caps on certain 
segments of the of the insurance industry like auto insurance which at the end if not managed properly what it might happen is that it, it will create incentive for insurance companies to exit certain uh, segments of the market okay so effectively the losses for insurers and reinsurers are going up and ultimately some of those costs are being passed on to corporates and the individuals who are actually paying the premium insurance premium but when you look at weather patterns as some weather events are becoming more predictable how are the insurers or the reinsurers reacting to these uh, weather patterns well i, I think one positive aspect of the insurance and the reinsurance industry about climate change is that they have a very long track of uh, history of data related to how climate and how they are being they have been paying weather related events hurricanes for the past 100 years wildfires floods etc so this is positive for the insurance industry because i think they're in a very strong position to use that data to uh, underwrite risk in a better way to price better as well but in in terms of the of events becoming more predictable uh, i think we have a couple of challenges here so if a, if an event is becoming too predictable then what you're going to have is insurers not willing to insure that event for instance if you know that in certain uh, region of a country there is flood every year what will happen is that insurers will not underwrite that that region for flood risk because otherwise they will have to basically charge exactly the amount that of, of economic losses for, for that region every year. And then there will be no point in, in an individual or a company located in that region to actually get insurance because it, the, the cost of the premium will be the same as the cost of the event, right? So if something becomes too predictable, this uh, could be actually not good for an insurance company in terms of providing the capability to absorb that risk. I think the problem for insurance companies is when actually events are very large and unpredictable. And this is where the insurance industry actually adds value in terms of the capital they add into the system and the ability to absorb those risks. But when we have uh, events that are too predictable, Again, these might prompt different solutions. So rather than uh, an insurance company providing coverage in an area where they know they will have a wildfire or, or a flood, the solution might be more on working on climate adaptation so that there is better resilience in terms of how the region can stand for those risks. Just to add from, again, the structured finance perspective, based on uh, what Marcos just mentioned, Obviously, here it becomes evident that um, something which happens in one of the industries can then affect um, other sectors. So, um, for example, as Marcos mentioned, if uh, insurance companies either stop providing insurance or they would increase um, the premiums, that has an effect on the property owners ultimately, either by higher costs, which might affect affordability or property not being insurable against certain events, which means that is one example of, I would say, transitional climate change risk, which then ultimately can affect property values already before the adverse um, weather event actually happening, because there's increased risk for um, owning these properties or um, increased costs. Also, um, 
Marcus mentioned adaptions. Yes, but they would give rise to additional costs for the owners, which all in itself and all together is credit negative. And one could make the argument that having a good climate risk management in the insurance sector, which I'm sure they have, is credit positive for the insurance sector, but ultimately credit negative for the sectors um, where the properties feature, like for example, RMBS or CMBS. And then in my view, as Marcus had mentioned, the insurance sector is the canary in the coal mine and we're closely monitoring how coverage in certain regions or certain properties uh, is evolving. Thank you, Christian and Marcus for sharing your thoughts with us all. And that's it from us. If you have any questions or particular topic you would like us to cover in the future, feel free to get in touch. By downloading and listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to the DBIS Morningstar disclaimer and legal terms and conditions found at dbismorningstar.com forward slash about forward slash disclaimer and dbismorningstar.com forward slash about forward slash terms and conditions, including that the information provided is not investment, financial or other advice. DBIS Morningstar will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Please note that the content of this podcast is intended for European audiences only.